0: If you would please open up your Bibles to the Book of Exodus, chapter 17, chapter 17 of Exodus, and we will be picking uh, back up where we left off. There, the title today is Living Waters, and uh, and we are going to continue on the journey with the Israelites through uh, the. The wilderness here, as uh, God is taking him to the Promised Land of Canaan, uh, and uh, we have gone through and watched and seen these different ex- uh, situations and experiences that God has brought the people, His people, through, and they're uh, through test after test after test, and it's and it's a test only a test. Uh, to help refine, to grow, and to mature, and to, to have the, his people to rely upon uh, God for everything, uh, even th- for the most basics of needs to the most miraculous of, of deliverance. And as we continue to pick back up here, we're going to see here in Exodus 17, verse 1, it says, Then all of the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of Sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So now we see that they're on their next stop here. They've exited and they're at Rephidim. Now, this campsite, this location that God has led them by the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, he is doing all the directing. He is directing their steps and has brought them here to this part of the wilderness. Now, as we know in Numbers chapter 33, verses 12 through 14, that they had two other stops prior to getting to uh, Rephidim from the wilderness of sin, and that was Daphica and to Alash. Those two places they stopped at prior to getting to hear what we see in the scripture uh, in Exodus chapter 17 to Rephidim. Now here they're journeying through, and they're coming again. They're into the Mount of Sinai region, and they're coming into this area, and we find that they're going to be tested again by God. That Israel did exactly what God commanded and kept moving when he moved and they moved with him, following that pillar of cloud and the fire. And now they get to this place of Rephidim. And we find here, as you look at that, that there is no water for the people to drink. So it's one of those Oh, we're coming to the next oasis, maybe here, and there should be water, and we're really thirsty. We've been in the obviously uh, can't survive very long in the desert without water, and they're very thirsty, though the 2.5 million coming across, and they get there and find no water again. It's like one of those, uh-oh, we've been here before kind of moments. If you remember of the the bitter waters of Mara, they find themselves again experiencing. This sense of we do not have water and we're going to die kind of moment. But remember, we must grow in faith. We must grow in our knowledge of God and who he is. We must grow as God tests us to grow in our godly character. And don't waste opportunities when God brings us through these different tests of life. So here they are, they, they, you would hope they had learned the test of, of, of the lack of water there at Mara, the bitter waters and how God miraculously provided to them. Now they're in the desert, they're continuing, they went through the, the bread of life moment where there was no food, the quail God had to bring and direct their way and then they provided the what is it? Do you remember what it is? What is it? Exactly, it's what is it? That's the name of it, Mara. I mean, the, the manna. It's exactly what the name is, is manna. And he provided for them through that provision of manna each day uh, for six days, if you remember. And the, on the, the one day, double portion. So they, on the Sabbath, they did not have to go out and collect. But now we're here having another test. Another test is now that there's no water to be seen again. And we see their response here through these, these tests that God's designed... Uh, to to bring into someone's life and their life to bring about to show his power and to build their faith, to build their character, to transform them through these different tests. In verse 2, therefore the people contended with Moses, and that's a very strong word in the Hebrew language there, "and, and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? So we see here that the people's response was much more harsh than the, Mar- the, the uh, Mara experience or even the, um, the bread of life experience there that we learned a couple of weeks ago of not having food. Here, they're not only just murmuring and complaining. They've gone beyond that now. And now they're contending or struggling or threatening the life of, of, of Moses For taking them as they are blaming him, which is nothing under new the sun. People love to blame other people. But if you notice there, Moses said, why do you contend with me? Why are you you wanting to fight me? And why are you wanting to struggle with me? And why are you trying to take me out? Why do you tempt the Lord? Meaning, it's the Lord's doing here. He's the one is directing our steps. We're just following. I'm leading you because I'm being led by God. And that's the challenge with leadership many times is the people take their eyes off the fact that the leader is being led by God in these things and they turn on them to because they have need someone that they can reach out and touch and blame. Versus going to God and blaming him because they know deep within that would be that would be a Very bad deal of uh, going against God in regards to tempting God in what he's doing. But we see here the people over the head was this a real problem here. They've been going across the desert. They have a real problem. It's a real situation. They don't have water. Things are getting intense. It, it, It can be very intense when you don't have the basic necessities of life. And this wasn't imaginary. There wasn't some emotional experience that they were having here but it was the fact that they they realized they had no water and they needed to blame someone for the situation they find themselves in and they weren't thinking spiritually. They weren't thinking rightly. They were thinking out of their flesh and their reactions were fleshly, not spiritual, in regards to dealing with the situation, the problem at hand. So they responded out of flesh by contending with Moses. Now, though each test they experienced here, The test of not having water, not having food, now not having water again, brought out the worst in them. And that's what typically happens is when you're tested that you can tell where a person is based on their response, if they're going to respond in the flesh or if they're going to respond in a godly manner of the situation they find themselves in. But here you can see They were still needing to grow and mature, and God obviously knew that because, once again, God is bringing them to a point where there's appearance of no water. And he's testing to say, okay, how are you going to respond on this test? The third test here, or maybe more than the third test, but three certainly water, no food, now no water again. But we find here when we have a problem, and, and we're not growing in responding spiritually because we haven't gone to the Lord and asked how to best deal with the situation, but we immediately respond in the flesh. We'll do exactly what the Israelites did here. It's so much easier to blame someone else for the problem than to seeking God and say, God, you're in charge of my life. You're in control of my life. You've brought me here to learn something through this test, through this trial, this tribulation. We're to learn something. How do we respond? What do we do? And how to best to respond? Who do I turn to for to help? I'm coming to you, Lord. How do we solve? How do you want to solve this problem? They didn't do it. They immediately blamed uh, Moses. In verses carefully and Spiritually, responding in a godly way. In verse 3, And the people thirst there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Now it gets even more drama, because not only do, do they... Threaten his life for bringing him there. They complain against Moses, but they really voice what's coming out of their heart, and that is, why have you brought us here to kill us and to kill our children? And oh, drama here. And you can, they must obviously be um, uh, uh, cattle farmers. Or uh, milk farmers. So around here in the north country, we have lots of dairy farmers. So it must be a dairy farmers that are leading this, this, this riot because uh, they immediately were concerned about their livestock as well uh, for not having a thirst, which is just kind of interesting. You're worried about your animals. As you're dying of thirst, you're worried about your animals as well. You know, Obviously, that's their livelihood and their concern for that. But you never solve problems by blaming people. Israel's root of their problem was not because of Moses, it's because of their unbelief in what God is doing in their life at that moment in time. So, their problem is their problem. Their problem is that they have unbelief, and their problem is is that they thought it was always better to go back to the old life. Why did you bring us out of here? We should have never left the old life. We should have been just, why would I even trust? And in you in leading us to do what God's called you said God's calling us to do. So it's really their problem, but they didn't want to take on that problem and face the issue, deep issues of their heart of unbelief and the fact that they still wanted the world. They still wanted to live in the past and live kind of like the world in, in that sense of security that the world sup- supposedly seems to offer you. So the problem is them, but of course people have a tendency not to take responsibility But quickly blame those who are in leadership. It's amazing. But nothing new to the sun. It happened back then. It still happens today. But every difficulty you meet is an opportunity for testing yourself and seeing how well and how much do you really trust the Lord in your life. As a child of God, how much do you trust God? Do you trust him so that you can... Without, without even what you can see, there's no sight in, in, of solution and sight, I should say, but by faith, do you go forward or are you going to go backwards like they did based on the situation and circumstances you find yourself in today? Do you trust the Lord where you were willing to go forward even though you cannot see how he's going to provide or how this is all going to work out or do you go back? It's your choice. Remember, every difficulty God permits us to encounter will become either a test to make us better or it will make us bitter. And that decision of which way you go in the situations... Of you're going to get better out of this and you're going to grow in your godly character and you're deepening your trust, your faith in God, or you're going to turn bitter and you're going to turn bitter against people around you. You'll get turned bitter against the leadership that God has brought in your life or you'll turn bitter against God himself. But you're going to, it's all based upon your attitude that will determine if you're going to get better or bitter through the situation you find yourself in. And we see when people are out of fellowship with the Lord. They've kept a distance from the Lord. Those who do that, where they keep a distance from the Lord, they become angry and they become bitter. When situations that they do not like or they, they're actually difficult situations, like no water to drink in the middle of a desert, that's real. But when you're at a fellowship of the Lord at a distance, you'll turn angry and you'll turn bitter. And they usually want to do very unreasonable things that could make the situation even worse as we see here in verse 4. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. See, that's what happens when you godly people... Do not stay close to the Lord and continue to have a fellowship from a distance. You'll have a tendency to respond in your flesh. You'll become angry. You'll become bitter. And you will rash out irra- irrationally to those around you, especially in leadership. Those who are head of the household, those who are there closest to you, you will respond in a way, and in this case, become very ir- uh, unrespons- or irresponsible. And the fact that Moses sensed they were ready to stone him for being the leader uh, of, uh, and again, blaming him for bringing uh, them to the place where they find themselves, because it wasn't Moses' fault for the lack of water, but as a, as a, but as a leader, though. But as a leader of the Israelite people, that God had appointed him as the leader for these people, he had to lead anyway. He had to lead to the solution or to the answer of the problem that God has appointed him as a leader to help solve. And Moses did exactly what he should do. Moses, Moses had no clue of what was what the solution was, but he did the right solution. And the answer is he took, he went, and he was by example leading people to prayer, to go to the Lord to find out what the answer is. Because Moses understood, you led us here, so you must have a solution here. And so, as he does that, he's leading by example of going to the Lord in prayer and crying out to the Lord to say. What shall I do with these people? Now, (laughs) it was more going, how do I deal with these people who want to stone me? Versus, Lord, how are you going to provide water for these people? Because that will solve the problem. But Moses knew the people were unfair to him. That's why he responded, what shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. But he still had to lead. He still had to lead these people under the pressure of unfair attacks. He had to just let that go and said, These people are desperately in need and they're in their flesh. And Lord, how can I help these people? And I need you to show me how to help these people. I'm not sure how to do it. And he did the right thing by turning to God in prayer. In verse 5, And the Lord said to Moses, Here's the answer. He cried out to the Lord, now the Lord is answering His prayer, and the Lord said to Moses, "Go on before the people. Go out front. Don't lead from behind. Don't go run and disappear. Go out front of the people. Go out and go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod which you struck the river and go. So God gave very clear instructions. Some of these elders who seem to be going against your leadership, some of these elders who are complaining and want to stone you and lead the people to stone you, take some of them with you so that they can witness firsthand that I am going to show up. God Almighty is going to show up and reveal myself once again through Moses' hand. The power that I have, and I'm working through that leader, Moses, to lead my people through this wilderness to the promised land. So God's going to again lift Moses up above this situation at hand. And so he says to him, grab some elders, take in your hand, your rod that was used so mightily, so powerfully when you struck the river and it changed uh, the changed the river. He's, God is going to use that and says, go and, and, and use this because I am going to reveal this, the confidence that you have in me and that I have in you in regards to being a, a vessel I can use for my people. And so Moses uh, had this confidence not in the solution but he had a confidence in God. He was just going to be obedient to what God revealed to him in prayer. And he said, "Okay, I'll grab some of the elders. I'm going to grab this rod, and I remember when I pick on this, I remember what you did before when you parted the river, the 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 sea of the the sea, the river, they parted it. And when I again, it's just going to remember what God had done for them to go through Uh, the Red Sea, on parting on dry land. He's going to flash back and say, God, you did a miraculous thing right then. Now it reminds me, because you've asked me to do this, you're going to do something miraculous once again. And it gives him total confidence as a leader leading his people, uh, trusting in what God has done in the past and what he's asking you to do. You just have to be obedient. And if you notice here, as we continue, Moses does not question God. What do you mean take my rod and some of the elders what am I going to do with this thing where's water going to come out of this 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 stick well, I mean he didn't question it at all he was immediate obedience why because his godly character is growing much faster than the people of Israel at this point in time but that's that's a good thing behold verse 6 I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, which is that Mount Sinai region, and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. The, you know, the, one of the key themes is you, we see this chapter after chapter after chapter in the book of Exodus. That 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 really that key theme that we have to remind ourselves as we read this is is that God is with them. That's really the key key theme. Uh, yeah, the situations and tests are different, and scenarios and the enemies are different, as we will see. But God is with them. That is the main theme here in the book of Exodus as they journey across to the Promised Land. So here we he takes that that. Immediate step of doing exactly what he says and God says to take that, that rod of yours and you're going to strike the rock. Now the rock, whatever that rock is, it must have been, a, some people say that they think they know where this rock is in Mount Sinai. It must have been a massive rock, a rock enough where it was, a. a, a, a it's like the, the sea parting. It must have been just a tremendous uh, scene for them to, to just see the power of God and in my my heart is that there must have been a large rock in the in that region where he when he struck it it opened up it caused a, where people 2.5 million people can see what was happening and be able to partake of the water from that source it must have been massive water must come and be coming out be it a, just opened up a live spring of water that just flushed. Living water that they could partake of and be refreshed from. It must have been an incredible scene uh, that was happening right here. But it was a sight so that the elders of Israel, without a question, could see that God was using Moses uh, as a leader here. And what a, what amazing miracle. Because you have to think, everybody knows that water just doesn't just come out of a rock. It just doesn't come out of rock. It it must have been an amazing scene. And it must have been, it's so gracious because if you notice, God does not rebuke the people at all. Because he understands these people, they they have to learn through these situations. He doesn't rebuke them. He graciously provided the water because why? He's faithful. He's going to provide the basic needs for his people. And water is one of those. And he had them open up so he miraculously could see by his grace he provided an abundant living water for them to survive through the the desert. And it's significant. And I don't believe Moses understood the significance of of the illustration that God was actually building right here. Now we do because we know the scriptures because it takes us to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, does it not? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4. Where Paul wrote there, uh, wrote of the Israel of uh, Israel in uh, Exodus, where he says they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. It was a foreshadow of what Christ would be, our foundation, our rock, our cornerstone. Who would would be smitten? We see it in Isaiah fifty three four. Do we not? Where we see herein as a type of Christ where him stricken and smiten by God and afflicted. This whole scene right here is a depiction of what was going to be of our Savior, the Messiah that was coming. And Moses didn't even understand that. We have the blessings of seeing all the scriptures and looking back and how God was uh, uh, revealing even from that point forward. Of the, of the story or the, of the, the, the coming of the Messiah and what would happen, Jesus himself. In verse 7, So he called the name of the place uh, Massah and Meribah be, because of the contentions of the children of Israel, because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So here we find that Moses calls this place two names. Masa, which means to test, and Meribah, which means to quarreling or struggling. So he names the place appropriately because that's where the test took place that God allowed his people to go through the test. But also the fact that they were also that revealed their hearts of quarreling hearts, these this confrontational contending hearts against God, but against Moses himself as well. But we don't know exactly how God provided water from this rock. We don't. But perhaps it was an artesian well. I mean, he smacked it, opened up, and all of a sudden there's this beautiful artesian spring water just comes out and just starts flowing out where 2.5 million people plus animals and everything else were able to partake of that. What a beautiful scene that must have been. But this was such a significant thing. We even see this kind of this situation taking place and the, and the significance of this is spoke of also in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Deuteronomy chapter 9 and Deuteronomy chapter 33. So this, this scene, this scenario, this, this, this situation lingered on in the conversation and lingered on in the hearts and the minds of the people uh, in, uh, later on. But they notice here that they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And that's significant because sometimes when we find ourselves in situations, we ask ourselves, if we are really honest with ourselves, said, is really God with us in this? Is God with me still? Is God really directing me? Is God? I mean, we can ask those same questions here, and 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 really tempt the Lord on, on what He's He's doing through us, even because we don't like tests. <laughs> we don't like tribulations. We like things going really nice and, and just smooth, like like you just going through our days and enjoying life, and uh, we don't like tests. And anytime there is a test or it doesn't play out the way we would like to play it out, we automatically, well, you know, uh, is the Lord among us or not? You know, or are we just doing, well, again, nothing new here. God dramatically here says, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb. I'm going to stand right there. I am going to reveal myself to you through this test you watch you see it's going to happen without a question or a doubt it should be in your mind but the the attitude of the israelites uh, that they were displaying here was their great sin their attitude of just this lack of faith this lack of trust in god almighty who had revealed himself already multiple times But this is a very difficult time for the children of Israel. Directly and indirectly, it was very difficult times because they're finding themselves without water. Doubting, doubting this, this, the, the, that the loving presence of God is still with them or if they just that God has just left us here. And we have to, it's a very dangerous attitude. We have to be very careful here. That we don't get to a point where we take our eyes and we put them on ourselves and the situation and, and take our eyes off of him. Because we will come to that point where we will not think that the loving presence and the care of God are with us anymore. And that he somehow has left us. And that will cause depression. That will cause the the. the, the the, the the oppression and it would cause all kinds of emotions in our in our life when we take our eyes off ourselves and put them on our put them on ourselves and take them off of God because it will just it's what we call a time of spiritual dryness at, at in, in many cases and they were experiencing dryness for sure physically and uh, it revealed to the, uh to to Moses and to God uh, not really to God because he knows all things but to Moses that. There was a dryness of the people still. Which had to be dealt with. And that's why God brought them through this this next test of of no water. Now in John chapter 7 verse 37-38. Jesus said. If anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me as the scriptures has said. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So this whole illustration in this situation that Israel finds themselves in, if they would just turn to the Lord and and like us today, if we thirst, if we feel dry, we feel like we just don't sense the presence, the loving presence of God in the situation that we find ourselves in today. He says, come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And this living water Jesus speaks of is the Holy Spirit, John 7, verse 39. It is no less of a miracle for God to bring the love and the power of the Holy Spirit out of our hearts than it is to bring water out of a rock. (laughs) Some people have some really hard hearts like rock. But God in His power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can bring and soften that heart and open up the heart to allow the living water to pour out through you. The question is do you want that? Do you desire that? Do you desire the living water? I hope so. I pray for that. For you. Now we see God is provided, God is faithful. God is powerful. God is going to do what he promises to do, and he'll bring you and walk you through test after test that he allows you to come into your life. But now we're going to see the remaining of this chapter spiritual warfare. You just, they just had a God moment, right? God actually opened up a rock, and water came out, living water, to, to, to replenish their, their, dry, their, their dry mouths, but also their dry spirit that's within them. And they just experience a God moment. And usually right after a God moment, it's usually spiritual warfare. And sure enough, enemy comes. Look at what happens. Now, Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, note here in the Bible, this first place where Joshua's name is noted in the Bible here, Joshua, chose us us some men and go out, choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So on their journey of faith here, not only will we experience tests, necessary tests i mean these are necessity of life type tests there's no food there's no water there's no toilet paper i understand these are necessities of life but when we look at this we are face we will also face battles with enemies who will come and attack us we're just pilgrims they were just pilgrims they're just They were just walking through the wilderness. They are heading to the promised land. We, too, are just pilgrims. We're just going and ready to go to heaven when God calls us home. We're just pilgrims. We're soldiers for God. And then when this happens, hardships do come to us. Why? Because the enemy will attack us while we're sojourning, ready to go to heaven. They, too, the Israelites, were being just sojourners, going to the promised land by the guidance of God, and now the enemy rears, rears up here. Now, the, the enemy is Amalek. And this was an unprovoked attack. These are unprovoked attacks against the people here. Now, the, Amalek, uh, the Amaleks were nomads in the desert in the south of Canaan. They're in the southern part there. And they're, in response, Moses calls Joshua... To, the, to lead the army of the Israelites to go against Amalek, and now notice that Joshua becomes this leader of the army, and, and later on in the scriptures we continue to see all the way through, um, and he continues to be in that position of leading the, the army of uh, the Israelites. This is their very first physical battle with an enemy. Remember the Egyptians; they did not have to battle. God took and wiped them all out. They didn't have to lift a finger. They just had to walk across dry land. But here, God is now saying, "Okay, now it's time." As the spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare in this case, physical warfare comes against you, you must rise up and you must conquer the the, the enemy. And Joshua will lead us. Now, the Amalekite uh, Amalek, uh, the the Amalekites, they come from the grandson of Esau. We see that in Genesis 36 12. Even though they're kin, even though they're related, we see that the this spirit about Esau coming through the, through, uh, the lineage of um, uh, Eliphaz, they proved to be a major enemy against the Israelites for time to go. But we're going to see here in this chapter. God said, we're going to deal with these uh, Amalekites once and for all. But it was Esau fighting against Jacob moment once again here uh, between the two tribes. And the method of attack is really what I think just set God off in a way to say this is enough is enough. This is This is not right. This is dirty, rotten uh, uh, play here when it comes to, to battle. Because in Deuteronomy 25, verse 17 and 18, it says, Remember what the Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear, when you were tired and weary and did not fear God. So, God made it very clear to us in the scriptures. The people were not fearing God. They were not staying focused on God as they were journeying across this desert. They were getting weak. They were getting sick, and the people were weak and sick and straggling along. They had a tendency to drag behind the 2.5 million people, and these low lives here—these, this, this, uh, Amalek and the Amal- Amaleks—came across and didn't come right on to them as a a war against war, army against army. They sneaked up behind them and started picking off all their sick, the women, their children, all those who were lame and old. And that right there is despicable. But that's what happens. That's what the enemy does. Wolf looks at the sheep and looks for the sheep that are not Quite yet strong. They don't know. They don't know what to do. They don't have the experience. They haven't grown. They're not not healthy. They they still lack how important it is to stay close to the shepherd. And to hear what the shepherd's voice is saying to them. And they wander off looking for other things. And that's when the wolf comes after them. Or they get bad Get sick because they've been chewing on some bad stuff, and then they become weak, and they they take their eyes off. And as as even as the Israelites here, they didn't they stop not fearing God in their life. They allow things of the world come back, and guess what? The enemy's right there to try to pick them off. Nothing, nothing new. And then but this is going to be an interesting because this very first experience of warfare for ancient Israel. Uh, because for hundreds of years they didn't have to have a, uh, a army to battle, didn't have to, and now they find themselves something new where they had to become an army, uh, a ragtag army, and just pulling their things together their their plowshares and other things that they had. They didn't have weapons of war, but God says to uh, Moses that uh, when you when they went to the top of the hill. Uh, choose us among some men and and go out and fight this uh, Amalek. But he says, I'm going to take and go to stand at the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Now, this rod of God is also referred to as rod of Moses or your rod or the rod of God. But it's a combination of understanding. It's Moses with the rod, but it's God's divine power working through that instrument that does the work. God empowering that that uh, that human instrument that God is called to be used. In verse ten, so Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of, of the hill. And so it was when Moses led. Up his, or held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. So you can see this picture. Whatever that, that hilltop experience where he's up there and he's got two of his uh, right hand and left hand guys, Aaron and Her, uh, Aaron being uh, his, his, uh, his his brother. Uh, to Moses and her being, we believe, is the brother-in-law to Moses. So he's got his two brothers on one side and the other side. Moses is standing there. You can picture it. He's lifting up his hands, and it's a form of prayer that is happening here. He's praying for the people looking down and watching this collision of two uh, armies coming together. Now, if you notice, as Moses held up his hand. That Israel prevailed. But as soon as he let down the hand, because he started getting weaker and weaker and weaker, because he's sitting there, whoa, they're winning, they're winning, they're winning. whatever it, he started, Amalek became uh, dominant and started prevailing over his people. This phrase held up his hand. It's, it describes the Israelites' posture of prayer. Even as some people today might bow their heads in prayer or hold their hands or lift their hands up in prayer. It's a form of prayer or it's an outward display of praying and Moses here is outwardly praying and we see that and keeps on praying just like 1 Timothy 2.8 says we should continue to pray. But this amazing passage here Is displaying what we should be like in our prayer mode. Because the people that were down there in this this mighty fight needed the prayers of Moses right there while they're going through this. He needed to, to, to pray and continue to pray without ceasing to see that God's people were going to win this war, this battle. Because life and death depended on him continuing to lift his hands up in prayer for the power of God to work through that moment to give them the strength to do that. And the the dependency on prayer is so important. But notice what happens in verse 12. But Moses' hands became heavy. <laughs> if anyone's lifted their hands up that long, they became heavy. So they took a stone and put it underneath them and sat and he sat on it. He was standing up like this. You can picture him. Almighty. And he's like, I'm getting tired. And they sit down on this rock. He still has got his arms up. But he had to sit down because he was standing too long. But Aaron and her supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek. And his people with this edge of the sword. Luke 18:1, men always ought to pray and not lose heart. We should always be praying and not lose heart of the situation that's going on here. But reality was setting in here. Moses' hands were starting to get heavy. He couldn't stand any longer. It's been going on for quite some time. Sun, the, the going down of the sun is about coming. And here you see how important it is not only him praying, but you see the importance that God is showing us that you have brothers or you have sisters on either side of you lifting up your arms in prayer for the battle to be won in the spiritual battles in front of us. Or the physical battles in front of us. We should be continuing earnestly praying without ceasing. And we must have prayer partners with us. Helping us to have us to be steady. And continue to be steadied in our prayers. For the situation at hand we find ourselves in. That's why sometimes. I, 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 it's so important. That if you're having a situation in your life. The last thing you should be doing. Is keeping it to yourself. Yes, you're praying and asking God to help and deliver you from whatever the situation at hand, but you should be telling others so they can come alongside you and steady your arms in your prayer for whatever the situation you have, you find yourself in. Praying over a lost child who's walked away from the Lord or never came to the Lord. Praying that they get saved. How about someone sick and they're in the hospital, and you're praying for your loved one. Do you have someone who's coming alongside, sitting in your arms and continue to encourage you in that prayer to continue to pray for that person whatever the situation may be for your life remember it's important that we we're two or more gathered in your name you know the scriptures God shows up how important we have prayer and more prayer and people alongside us to pray with and for us and for others but you see Aaron and her right there, steadying and lifting up, and Joshua defeated Amalek by the, by the edge of the sword. Now notice. Praying Moses, the praying Moses, the praying brothers on either side, Aaron and her that was helping, did not eliminate the need for Joshua. To go to battle and do the battle, physical battle with the enemy. He couldn't just sit there and we'll just pray these people just go away. When the enemy's right there and picking you off at the from behind or the sides or front, there's times where there has to be, in this case, physical battle that had to take place. But it's a, that battle was empowered by the prayer to God to ask Him to take and use this Joshua and the army. To, as instruments empowered by God to, to wipe out the, the enemy that was coming against his people. Verse 14, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a, a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek un, from under heaven. So God says to, to, to Moses, You're going to write this down now. Because people need to read this and know this as a, a future uh, memory that I am about to say and I'm going to make a note of this and I want people to know why this is taking place. But recount, write down everything that just took place and what I did through your, your people and through the mighty moments here of this t- the test and the enemy coming against you. But I'm going, he makes a promise here. The Lord tells Moses, I will... Utterly blot out the remembrance. Literally. That's, that's a very strong statement. That God would say, I, am going to, I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek. Now, we see here in verse 15, Moses' response to that, that uh, commandment of God. So Moses built an altar... And called its name, the Lord is my banner. So his response is prayer is so important in the work of God and what He is going to do in and through people's lives. And that. As he's praying and seeing and revealing how God is going to work through the situation at hand. He wasn't foolish to think that just by prayer somehow they were going to win this battle. That they were going to have to put a leader and an army together to go out and to conquer and go against. To push back and to deal with the the enemy at hand. But as we see God's response is I want you to remember this and I want the generations to remember this that this is not what is going to be tolerated by God in regards to coming against his people. That God is going to deal with this. And so as an act of worship of what God has done in and through their life Moses builds an altar as God said and he prays the divine name of Yahweh Nisi. Yahweh Nisi means the Lord is my banner. Again, he's revealing to the people of Israel his divine nature, divine name of who he is, Yahweh Nisi here. And it describes this flag or a banner, the idea that God is victorious in the battle and victorious. This flag is going to be waving in victory and lifted high so that people and generation upon generation knows that God has victory. God will take care of the enemies. The same exact word that we see here is used also back in, in, in used in Numbers 21.8, where it describes the serpent on the pole. Where they had, to, God was saying, look to the pole so that the enemy could be de- 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 defeated here. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 10 says, And in that day there shall be a root, capital R, root of Jesse, Speaking of Jesus, who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. I can't, it just speaks of our, our the Messiah, our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ here is our banner. He has victory for us. So in in Exodus 17, we see examples of God's power and man's effort working together here. Moses struck the rock, but only God could deliver the water from that rock. Joshua was called up to fight against the army. Moses prayed, but only God gave the victory over Amalek. So God receives the glory in all of this. It wasn't Israel is the banner. It's not Moses is the banner. It's not the pastor's the banner. It's not the church organization has the banner. It is the Lord is my banner, Yahweh Nisi. Only God gets the glory and the credit of what he will accomplish in and through his people. We sometimes are even more aware of the power and the help of God when we work together with Him than we are when God does the work all by Himself. Because we're witnesses firsthand. Because you know as well as I. There's no way this would have happened if it wasn't God doing it through, through, through my life. And then finally, verse 16, For He said, because the Lord has, has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And God said, I'm going to, I'm going to blot them out. And we see, it, as we continue in the scriptures, uh, war after war after war, niddling, whittling away, as they, as they say, and they're less and less Amalekites. Uh, we see that God... Uh, um, finally, takes them out completely uh, in the scriptures, uh, and you don't really hear of an Amalekite, an Amalek. You don't you go you don't go around today, and, and oh, he's an Amalek. You know you, they're completely blotted out, just like God said, because of God's strong command to battle against Amalek until they were completely conquered. Many, and you can see from a spiritual context here, Amalekites are as a picture of our flesh—the unspiritual aspect of man that makes war against the spirit. Where the Amalek is coming against or battling against the spirit, and we must resist and we must battle against that Galatians 5:17 is probably the best way to say it for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish there are times in our lives that our flesh our Amalek is coming against us sometimes It's an enemy or someone from the outside coming against us. But we must, if we are going to win the battle over our flesh, if we're going to win the battle over those who may come against us, we must have the living water. We must have the Holy Spirit filling us afresh and overflowing from our lives, empowering us to go to battle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities in the darkness of this world. We must come to be refreshed spiritually in our lives and to encourage us and to help us and strengthen us for our spiritual journey while we're waiting to go home to be in heaven with our Lord. We must be filled with the living water. The Holy Spirit must fill us afresh and fill us daily and continue to refresh us daily to have the strength to continue to go on and do what God's called us to do and our, t- our praising and our worshiping but also dealing with the things that God is going to bring us through. And yes, He will bring us through tests and tribulations we will face. But if we will just trust in the power of the Holy Spirit, our helper that God gives us, the living water, partake of that today, each and every day, and be refreshed in the Lord today. May the Lord bless you and keep you as the days continue in this This unique time. And until we can gather together in person once again. My prayer is that you will just find time to be still. And sit at the Lord's feet. Let the living water of the Holy Spirit fill you afresh this day. And empower you to continue to live by faith and not by sight. Let us pray.